This is CX of M Radio, the voice of customer experience professionals. Welcome to another episode of Press One for Nick. Your host, Nick Limsdahl, is the Director of Contact Center Solutions at VDS. Through conversations with customer service and customer experience leaders, Nick and his guests exchange insightful stories, best practices, and invaluable lessons they have learned along the way. Welcome to the Press One for Nick podcast. I am Nick Limsdahl. My guest this week is Eric Farber. Eric is the CEO and founder of Pacific Workers. They are the leading law firm in Northern California representing injured workers. He is also the author of The Case for Culture, How to Stop Being a Slave to Your Law Firm, Grow Your Practice, and Actually Be Happy. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Hey, thanks for having me, Nick. Yeah. Uh, so I always try to find a, a nugget that people might not know about you. Obviously, they, they've seen that you wrote a book, uh, which we can talk about here in a little bit. They, they know how you are a successful attorney, but uh, what most people, what's one thing that most people might not know about you? Wow. Well, there's lots, but, um, you know, prior to starting uh, Pacific Workers, I worked as a sports entertainment lawyer for a lot of years mm-hmm. and represented, um, I like to say I'm the only person who represented um, uh, Snoop, Dr. Dre, Death Row, and I represented Tupac Shakur State for 18 years. So I've actually been, uh, I, I was basically a gangster lawyer for a really long time. It, was that your title on your business card? Just said gangster lawyer, um, with an A. <laughs> with an A. Well, actually, it's very funny, but but um, there was a time when I represented. Um, it was the Tupac Shakur estate, Eze, and um, uh, the. I'm gonna forget the name, and I'm so sorry. It, it, um, it was the original. It was one of the original gangster rap. Um, and it was, oh, it's, uh, it's escaping me. It was uh, another, it was, I, I had like three other estates. So yeah. um, as a joke, one day our receptionist answered the phone, dead rapper law firm. Dead rapper law firm. Yeah, that's what I thought was better. So, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, so what, what made you want to write The Case for Culture? Well, it's interesting, you know, I had, I had worked for more than 20 years, or about 20 years as a, as a lawyer for a lot of athletes. And I know you're in Columbus, we were talking about Cincinnati, I represented about five guys that played for that played for the Bengals um, for a long time. And I traveled about 200 days a year. Wow. And um, my phone was 24 seven, I can, you know, tell you the countless holidays I missed or dinners I missed. Uh, I was telling somebody the story where my, my wife's boss flew in from Australia. She worked for wine. She worked for a wine company based in Australia and he flew in for a dinner with her because she had a great year. And, um, and my phone rang with one of the athletes and I spent the dinner outside while he was telling me his fears of the next day's game. And so uh, that was pretty bad. And I wanted to create we, you know, it sort of led into it. I wanted to create a better environment for myself, really a better life as a lawyer for myself and get away from that 24 seven stuff. So we started Pacific Workers and, um, it, and I just saw the, 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 the craziness and the terrible, terrible customer service of 
our type of law firm. Mm -hmm. And so I really started focusing on the customer service side, realized that if you really want to focus on customer service, you really got to focus on your team. And it led me to, you know, reading a lot of books and a ton. I mean, I'm surrounded by them now, right? Because I've never stopped. And it, it led me to really understanding what business is about. So um, by that, I, I stumbled on culture. We were able to really grow the law firm by that. And I wanted to bring it to other lawyers because we really don't think about it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's tough to think about it sometimes in the moment, isn't it? It's you're going through the, the motions and you kind of saying like, I'm so focused on this. And I have, I call it the horse blinders where you're, you're you got this straight line that you got to run toward as fast as you can, uh, instead of picking your head up and saying, why am I doing this? Why is this important? Yeah. And lawyers just really, you know, they're so blinded by the next trial in front of them. They forget that they're running businesses. Right? Yeah. And, um, and running a business requires a lot. And that's, uh, you know, being, being very much looking at the vision of what the, what the business is about. And that brings, that has to bring you back to the people that you're surrounded with and that's culture. Yeah. And, and inside the book, you talk about a, a 360 culture. What is that and why is it important? Well, to look at a 360 culture, you have to look at, at what a business really is. And to me, a business uh, for many, many years in America, we've looked at stakeholders versus shareholders mm -hmm. and stakeholders versus shareholders really is the idea of that. The, the, the purpose of a business is to make profit. And I kind of flip that on its script. And I say the purpose of a business is to serve its customers. And part of those customers are the team. So we have a stakeholder view at our company that we take care of team clients, vendors, the community, that, that it is putting out a culture that is, a, that is everything. And so it's a 360 view. It, it, it permeates our marketing. It permeates the way we onboard somebody. It permeates the way we, we hire people. It, it's a 360 view of culture and not just saying, hey, we're going to put in a foosball table and maybe some free drinks in the kitchen. Which would be helpful, but it doesn't solve the problem. Correct. It really is. It, it, it's, it's not solving any problems, actually. It's really just adding to your budget. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what is the mission of um, Pacific Workers today? Well, we, we look at our, miss, our mission as um, to serve justice with dignity mm. to our clients and to our team and to our community. So it's a three part, it's, there's three pillars to it, our team, our clients, our community. And that's the mission, right? And that is pushed forward by a lot of different things. And, and why are those three important? Well, they're, they're important for so many different reasons. And, and uh, I know, you know, your podcast doesn't go, you know, it's not the 10 hour Tim Ferriss podcast, right? <laughs> um, but they're, uh, they are important because without, you know, I have a saying the the job of the business owner is to take care of the team. Yep. The team takes care of the clients 
and the clients take care of all of us. And reaching out to the community is a very important piece of it as well. Um, we do a lot of stuff in our, um, in our community. One of the examples I use a lot is we're the <clears throat> largest donator to the Oakland firefighters, which is outside of LA, the largest mm -hmm. firefighter union in Northern California. And it was done, you know, strategically because we believe in the firefighters. The firefighters are the most respected profession in a community and they get the word out for us um, about what we do and we represent a lot of firefighters. However, for years, even though we were donating and participating in things, they actually were referring stuff to somebody else, uh, cases to somebody else. And I kept saying that doesn't matter. Maybe someday that guy will retire. It's yeah. still important to our community. Yeah, you know, when it comes to, you talked about stakeholders and shareholders and the importance of having a company mission and staying in that culture and the importance of hiring for that. Um, what's the consequences of these employees not, not pulling in the same direction or, or reaching or looking at that true North Star? Well, you know, a huge piece of this all started in me saying, we have too much turnover mm. and that turnover is costing us a fortune in the time spent bringing somebody in and the time spent, you know, advertising it, um, talking about, you know, somebody leaving. It's just an enormous, enormous expense. So selfishly, you know, our culture very much started from how do we reduce turnover? Well, to reduce turnover, you have to create a better, a better experience for your team. And mm -hmm. that in turn will create a better experience for the customers. In talking about hiring, we, you know, so many companies, they bring somebody in and they say, hey, this is what we do and look at the great benefits we have and we want you to have a work-life balance and we want you to do this and, you know, we've, we've achieved the, these awards and blah, blah, blah. How, how do you like that? Do you, do, you, do you, you know, and then they negotiate, you know, for the cheapest salary they possibly can and they, <laughs> right. and they, they onboard them and then they say, Oh, well, you got to give a two week notice. Well, sorry, we can't wait that long. What we do is we really set a stage for figuring out whether or not our mission and our goals match with the person that we're interviewing because it needs to be a great mutual fit. Mm -hmm. We're not trying to hoodwink anybody to join us, even though we need help. Right. Yeah. And we, I always say, I don't care. You know, we, we got a hundred resumes, none of them worked. Let's get another hundred resumes. We're very clear with people about trying to create a mutual long-term fit for their growth and our growth. And that has helped a tremendous, tremendous amount. And really hiring, I know people talk about this all the time, but hiring for a cultural match is a really important thing. If, if, you're, if the job requires to have great empathy, then hiring somebody who has no empathy ain't going to work out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's, it's tough to, even in customer service, there's 30, 40, 50% turnover year over year, uh, which is frightening and expensive. Um, you know, so it's, it's so important to get that culture piece fit, uh, right. Uh, because e how do you, once you get that culture fit right and you're hiring on culture, you're hiring on, on the right 
attributes or the right characteristics for that culture, um, they will have a better experience uh, because their expectations are there. Um, you know, one thing that you also mentioned was um, having, when, when people hire somebody, they expect them to keep their personal life personal and their professional life professional. Uh, what's, what's your expectation or what's your thoughts on that? You know, it's very interesting. My thoughts are, is you throw that out the window. We are not hiring robots. We are hiring people. Yeah. If you want a company of robots, go, go develop a bunch of algorithms, which I think we're all going to have to do at some point. Right. But we're hiring people and they have ups and downs in their personal life. Um, It's going to affect what's going on in their work life. And you've got to make sure you've got to make sure you're creating a really open environment for them to be able to talk about it and the things that are going on, you know, and what's one of the stories that I had in the book, we, we had a lawyer that worked for us for a long time and he was going through a divorce and he was, you know, um, quite, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't happy coming into the office and things. He just knew that he wasn't going to be top performing. And so he came into me, we sat down, we talked about it, and, you know, and kind of rearranged, um, you know, what was going on, had other people come in and help him. It's sort of like the, you know, the, 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 the dogs on the sled team, one of them's got a hurt paw, the other ones, you know, sort of pick up and, and, and help move it along. Yeah. You know, we had another person that, um, uh, that their grandmother was, uh, was passing. She, uh, she was the only one that was able to go visit. It was another country you know, it was going to require a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. you know, we're fine with that stuff. In fact, we give unlimited time off to our salaried employees. People think I'm nuts on this stuff, but look, it allows people to have lives. We talk about work-life balance. There really isn't, a, I, I, I don't like that term because, you know, for real career people, for people who are ambitious, you know, work is intertwined with their life, mm-hmm. right? It becomes part of their life. And, um, and to allow that means that you've got to allow for the human stuff that happens. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's always good to, to remember that because, um, there is a work-life balance, but people just like any customer that goes into a, uh, your store, if you're retail or if you're a convenience shop or anybody that interacts with you, they bring their whole life with them in that experience. Uh, so when somebody calls the 800 number and, and you know, they, they call in to, to fix their shoes or to buy a new uh, refrigerator, they're bringing that whole life with them. So if the kid's crying uh, that, that the mom is sick or somebody has cancer or they're going through a divorce, they're bringing that with them. So have that empathy throughout that time. And look, it really just helps. It helps. If somebody comes in and says, look, I'm breaking up with my girlfriend, you know they're not going to be in a great mood. They probably didn't sleep well. You know, you say, look, what, what calls do you, got, do you have to make that you personally have to make today? Uh, I've got, you know, two calls with, you know, two different clients or whatever it is. Give the rest of the work to somebody else. They'll, 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 you know, they'll gladly, you know, help their fellow person. And we actually have an award every year, um, which is the Foxhole Award which is who is the person in the company you would most want to be in the foxhole with, right? <laughs> which is means that you're helping out your fellow person sitting next to you or 
in these days in the box on your screen. Right. right. Yeah, right. Your, your, your virtual foxhole. Right, the virtual foxhole. And so that just becomes an easier thing because, okay, sure, they can probably muster up the energy for two phone calls or one phone call for the day or one, one major interaction, but you cannot expect them to be top of their game for eight phone calls or, or eight hours a day on the phone type of thing. And 90% of today's work is on the phone, yeah. right? So that's how you help them out. And that's why it's important to create a really transparent um, uh, soft place for them to land, so to speak, as, yeah. uh, as employees. Yeah, it's a good point too, because um, your, your clients have no idea. It's not like your employee is going to tell your clients, hey man, I'm just going through a divorce. Hey, I, I just got sick. Hey, this and that's happening. Um, but you have to be, it, it's a performance. It's a production. You have to be prepped and ready to go uh, to deliver the experience that they expect. Yeah. And you're not going to be able to alter that and adapt unless you're creating the type of environment that allows them to say, um, to say I'm having some trouble. Yeah. Yep. So you, you touched on it a little bit about um, having fun and, and, and donating to the, to the community and, and having a beer fridge, but what's the, uh, why do companies need to balance between a, a culture of fun and discipline? Well, a culture of all fun and no discipline is chaos, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, basically a culture of fun and, and no accountability is chaos. Um, it, it has to balance itself. And essentially, when we were starting to really shift our culture and people ask me all the time, you know, where do I start? I start with saying, make sure that you're appreciating your people and find the small wins and start to win them over to a new way of thinking. And that's a lot easier by saying, hey, we got some free lunch today, Yeah. right? Let's talk about this at the free lunch. Um, no such thing as a free lunch, right? <laughs> and um, and that's, a place, that's a place to start, right? And so then you can start to instill more disciplined processes. And when you really look at the big companies, the ones that have scaled, the ones that have expanded, and you know, we just hit the Inc. 5000 for the third year in a row, oh. um, and we were invited to do the Bay Area 50, uh, which is the fastest growing companies in the Bay Area. We, we hit the Bay Area 100. This is how you scale. You scale through disciplined processes and procedures. And when I use the word discipline, I'm not talking about being a disciplinarian. That's two different things. Just being disciplined in your process, disciplined on what the intake calls look like, mm -hmm. what the process is, um, documenting these things, documenting each and every process. How do you get the mail out? And when, big co when companies get this stuff right, it also allows people to know if they're doing something wrong. Because, you know, a mistake happens, and then you can look and say, Oh, did you just not follow the process or is our process bad? Yeah. Right. And then it gives them the opportunity to go back and look and see, see how they did. And it also gives an easy way to train people. So, and getting everybody on the same page. And that's what it really means uh, when you say getting everybody on the same page is instilling disciplined processes. And I want to, uh, you know, um, hit it again. 
being a disciplined company doesn't mean you're a bunch of disciplinarians. Right. Yeah. You can still have fun, but be disciplined, uh, reaching your ultimate objective. Yeah. And look, the, the, the fun side of it is really the ability to get to know people mm-hmm. within your, with, within the, the company. Prior to all this, we had about 60 company events every year and people think I'm nuts, but we, we, we would get together. It's the chance to get to know everybody, take a little bit of a break. Um, every year we do, we have annual stuff. We have weekly stuff. We have monthly stuff, quarterly stuff, et cetera. And it all has different levels of, of, of interaction. And, and how many total employees do you guys have? We're about 60 now. I did not realize that until I actually sat down working at budget stuff yesterday, but um, <laughs> we've got a lot. Yeah. yeah, but we started with four people six years ago. Wow, that's a, it's amazing. Um, and and being on the on the uh, the Bay 100, congrats on that. Uh, I Thank think it's a, it's a big accomplishment. Um, one thing that's really unique to your law firm, though, is that you don't make your attorneys bring in any business. Um, why the shift, and and how is that inter- how is that um, perceived with the law lawyers? They love it. right they love it because because one they don't teach teach marketing in in law school at all yeah um but essentially the the function of any company any company is to have a market its own marketing department to bring in to bring in work if a lawyer is sitting there worried about bringing in work to be able to make partner or you know creating their own hours that's that's basically just a collection of a whole bunch of solos, right? Um, but by by doing the hard work of bringing people in, bring the clients in for everybody, it allows them to focus on what they're good at and get better at what they're good at. There's plenty of lawyers who've come to me and said, hey, I wanna be part of the marketing process. I wanna go speak at stuff. We never stop them, of course not. That would be ridiculous, right? But um, and, and getting them to focus and say, okay, well, which part of the marketing do you want to be part of? Oh, you know, I'll go speak at conventions. I'll go do things like that for the unions or whatever it is. And that's totally fine. But that's not, they're not judged on bringing people in. They're judged on customer service and maximizing cases for the clients. Hmm. So um, you mentioned that they're judged on customer service and maximizing the cases. Is that, is that a metric that you can measure? Of course. Yeah. Don't do it if you can't measure it. Right. Yeah. And how, how do you measure customer service? Well, we measure customer service by client satisfaction. We do client satisfaction surveys. We do, um, we, we do, you know, the basic, the basic stuff. We'll even talk to the teams themselves because part of the customers of our lawyers are their case manager, assistant case manager, the people they work with. Mm-hmm. Right. So we look at, we look at that as well. And, um, we also know that, you know, we have averages, especially in a company, you know, in our method or not method, our type of law, workers comp, it's a very high volume practice. And so it's easy to build metrics of what's happening. Um, and so we have case averages, we have lots of different things that we can look at, right? And then, um, you know, picking up the phone and ask the client how things went is also a pretty good way. and. Um, to be able to measure stuff. Yeah, it's, it's always, it's good to have a metric, but it's also important to take that time, pick the phone up, go grab coffee or lunch with somebody, or now 
virtual lunches um, and, and say, how are we doing? How can we improve? What's one thing that we can do to, to satisfy, provide a better experience for you and just, just shut up and listen is half the goal. Yeah, I actually heard a very interesting story where there's a firm in New York, fairly large firm, uh, mid-sized regional. They decided that they were going to uh, bring in uh, a bunch of their clients to do a panel, uh, panel discussion you know, to get that information from the clients. And it was a friend of mine who works there. And he said, um, one of the clients got up, they represent a lot of sort of business owners, large businesses. One of the guys on the stage said, I've been a client of this firm for 12 years. I average a bill of about seven to $10 million a year for the last 12 years. I call my lawyer at least five to 10 times a day. And the receptionist doesn't know my name. <laughs> Oh man, they, they should know, then know his birthday, his kids' names, uh, his, yeah. his favorite, uh, favorite, uh, uh, a gangster name. Um, yeah. he exactly. should know, but, yeah. um, yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, that kind of brings me to the, to one of the other questions is why is it so important to actively listen to your customers, to your employees? Boy, active listening is the most important skill that I think any person can have in this life. Um, it really, it allows you to hear people when people, it builds trust. Trust is built when people feel that they're heard. So we actually teach active listening. Um, Chris Voss has some great stuff on this in his book. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um, yeah, we never split the difference, right? Yeah, never split the difference. And the precursor book to that was Herb Cohen's book, um, How to Negotiate Anything. And uh, if you haven't read that book, it's I, I, I'm not sure how old that is, but uh, I know I've got a pretty pretty old copy that uh, that I have. That was the sort of the precursor to it. Um, and active listening and creating uh, empathy is about listening and building trust. And when you start teaching that active listening and people feeling heard, it's cutting down, especially in a customer service, it's cutting down on those, those bad phone calls, those bad interactions with clients. It's also allowing people, your employees to feel heard, yeah. right? We may put in a process in a company as thinking that it's okay, but unless people feel like they have an open, transparent environment to speak, that process, which might be completely outdated, it might have been fine five years ago, will never get changed and will yeah. continue to build to, to result in a bad result. Yeah. Creating a place where people listen will change everything about your company. Hmm. Um, so talking about changing your company, um, you you mentioned in the book, and I kind of want to ask it in a question, um, how was your turn turnover when you first started? And then what is it today? It was outrageous when we first started. Um, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was probably in the 60 to 70% range. Wow. Um, we are, we are, I'm proud to say that our last client, uh, customer, excuse me, our last employee survey, which just came out, a couple of days ago, we do it once a month, was 80% happy or very happy, which was good to see. Um, then over 90% said 
they would recommend working at our company to a friend, which I like very much. I haven't calculated completely, but I do think we are below the 10% mark now for turnover. Yeah. And the thing that I like too is you talked about paying them above where the market is paying um, because you, you increase or decrease turnover, you're going to increase profit. Um, you, you can, you have that ability to pay those people additional, um, resources and, and then that creates that, um, the gel between them where they're saying, Hey, I feel known and valued. I feel respected. I have unlimited vacation. Um, yeah, we have a bunch of happy hours. There's community events. Um, but that's just one more thing that's going to keep you sticky from, you know, having another company, another law firm, another, any industry coming up to your, your employee and saying, Hey, do you want a job? And you're, they're saying, Hey, can you do these five, six things? Uh, I'm good. I'm going to stay here. Yeah. It's trying to create the unpoachable employee. Yeah. That is, that's your goal, especially if you're the leader of the company. Sure. you got a vision. You want to, you, you want to set what the company goes and does. And you want to tell them people why you want to do what they do. But at the end of the day, your job is to take care of the employees. Let them take care of the clients. Yeah. Right. The way you want them to take care of the clients and they'll get on board. But try, we do everything we can to pay them as much as we possibly can. And that does create the stickiness of it. Um, workers comp does not pay much. I said, well, this is ridiculous. We're paying, we're paying the average in the workers' comp plaintiffs, workers' comp field. But then I realized, wait a second, I've got college grads. We're not talking about lawyers. We're talking about the, the staff because it's more important to focus on the staff than it is the lawyers. Yeah. Okay? They're, the, they're the key to your, keeping your clients happy. And so we're paying more. We, 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 we saw what we were paying to them. And then we say, well, wait a second. They can go get a job at any law firm. Mm-hmm. They can go get a job doing trademark, which pays more, or intellectual property. So now we got to match that. Then we thought, wait a second, we're in the Bay Area. They can go get serious jobs being a receptionist somewhere and make more than they're making for, with us, with some startup that's being funded by venture money. So we really said, let's match the market for what they could get hired for. Wow. Yeah, that's a, that's a big, hairy, audacious goal for, for everyone is to understand what's going on what the market's looking for meant paying above what marketing ask. Um, I, I think that's awesome. Um, if you, you know, back in the day when you were working crazy hours, you had a, a bunch of wrappers, uh, your, your title was uh, gangster with an A. Um, what advice would you give yourself when you were doing all of these things and you were unhappy? Uh, if you could give yourself advice today. Well, I certainly would go back and say, don't worry about sort of the glamour and limelight of what I was doing or, or trying to find, you know, trying to find some, um, some life as a lawyer like that. Yeah. I think that there's far more satisfaction in just helping the average person out there. Mm. Yeah, that, it's great advice. Yeah. So I, I wrap up every podcast with two questions. Um, and the first question is, is what book or person has influenced you the most in the past year? And the second question is, if you could leave a note to all the customer service or all the customer experience, um, or even just anybody, and it would reach, reach them all, what would it say? Well, well, let's start with the first one, which might take up 
the time for the other. Ryan <laughs> Holiday is, I have become a massive fan of Ryan Holiday. Um, and I started reading his books a long time ago before he started writing books on stoicism. And I listen to his podcast every morning called The Daily Stoic. Highly recommend it. But his books, um, he has books on marketing. He has books on now uh, writing on stoicism. His uh, first book, which was um, Trust Me, I'm Lying, was instrumental in how we approached a, a lot of our marketing. Perennial Seller is a tremendous book, uh, which is about running companies creating art that lasts mm-hmm. and how how history has shown uh, shown some amazing amazing companies throughout history and then you start writing the books on stoicism which have been incredibly helpful for me to to shape how we do things at the company so that's an easy one is Ryan Holiday has been a, a, a an incredible sort of guiding light in a lot of the stuff that I've been doing a note to people and what would it say? Um, well, that one's a tough one, but um, I would say, again, you know, I'm not sure I have anything truly specific or anything mind-blowing uh, mm-hmm. that is specific. Take care of yourself first, and then you can. that allows you to take care of other people. I think... Um... That is great advice. Um, it's it's so tough to to reflect. Uh, you think of the the mechanic whose uh, truck is the one that's always broken, um, yeah. right? You think of the the lawn care people who typically has the worst lawns in the block because they're so focused on others. But uh, if you look in the mirror and and see where you reflect a little bit, uh, it's a good example of um, taking care of yourself and then taking care of others. Um, you can connect with Eric um, on LinkedIn, and it's uh, Eric Farber, so E-R-I-C, last name Farber, F-A-R-B-E-R. Uh, you can go to his Twitter at Real Eric Farber. Uh, so there is must be a fake one. Um, and then also, I encourage you, I, I had the ability or, or the uh, I, I got to read the book, and um, so go to his website. It's called The Case for Culture. And I encourage you to sign up for the reading list um, through the website. So, Eric, thank you so much. I enjoyed it. It was great to finally meet a, a true gangster and uh, look forward to uh, learning more on, uh, on social media. Hey, thanks very much, Nick, for having me. Just uh, And everybody, I just want to let them know, Case for Culture is available on Amazon. Right now, uh, during the pandemic, I put it down to 99 cents. So uh, a touch uh, less than a cup of coffee to uh, to read it because I think it could be very helpful in this uh, during this time for people. That's great. So skip your coffee for one day and uh, transform your organization. Yeah. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Eric. Hey, listeners, can you think of one person who would benefit from the information you learned today? If so, please consider sharing this episode with them. And last, if you would like to receive all the quotes and book recommendations from all my guests, you can go to pressonefornick.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of Press One for Nick. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and share. Until next time, focus on your customers. Thanks for joining us for this session of CX of M Radio. 
Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit cxofm.org for more resources.